Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to challenge you to follow Christ, and to inspire you to lead a consecrated life. This is the third and final part of our series, God at Work in Kenya with Maurice Chihilu. We've come to see so much about what is going on over there, but there's still more to understand. Last time I had asked Bishop Maurice about his greatest challenges and what he's doing to overcome them. Here's what he said. The biggest challenge is if I am supposed to move faster and set up many study groups, you find that when you think about these issues that will face you as the coordinator or as the leader, you kind of take a break and say, wait a minute. I cannot go until I'm well organized, until I'm well planned, because going implies a cost. And like for my case now, I have no job, paid job, as in a salary. I don't have that. I'm blessed to have a wife who is working as a government primary school teacher. She brings in very little, but it's my responsibility as a man, number one, to provide for my family. Number two, the spiritual family also has needs. On many occasions, I've been forced to step in to help brothers here and there. Some lack food, some lack medication, some need treatment, some need basics of life and just to make uh, ends meet. So they come to church both to be fed the word of God and to be helped. So in a case where the pastor has no income, he is depending on the same people, maybe for small, small collections for his survival. How can he think about an outreach initiative? You need fuel. I'm blessed to have a small car. Many pastors walk on foot. Many pastors uh, have motorbikes, maybe. And others even have bicycles. Others have nothing. So by the grace of God, he has helped us to some level. We are able to move, but there are still facilitation costs that we encounter with every day and so many of our pastors are in such situations unless one is able to use his brain and think and find a way of earning an income in a noble way many people look down on such pastors because they think they cannot help them because they are unable to help themselves uh, i know i need to be working and I said, I want to invest much of my time in the ministry. And so I have to find a way of redeeming that time so that I don't work for money, so that I can have something I can do that can guarantee me an income at the end of the day or the month, so that even when I'm committing myself to ministry work, there is something, either an activity or a trade, not necessarily a white-collar job, that is guaranteed to bring in some small income that can help my personal expenses that the church cannot take care of. These are plans that I have with the education I have. I have started some initiatives. I'm putting in place some structures that can help me and help others so that we are able to run the ministry, take care of the charges and costs that come by. But even as I'm doing that, it is not something I can guarantee. It will... It will uh, be ready or it will be uh, it will work out soonest it may be a long-term strategy that can take time to materialize we need funding for such things 
He says he doesn't have a job. Did you hear that? Actually, he's crazy busy. He's constantly on the go, taking care of a dozen or more churches. He's training pastors and other interested people. One night when we were there, he showed up late to pick us up in the morning because he had been up much of the night comforting and ministering to someone who had lost a loved one. He does have a job, but all this work doesn't come with a paycheck, sadly, because the majority of people in the local rural congregations are poor and don't work jobs apart from growing their own food. So he needs money. We can help him, especially to get enough to finish his headquarters and fund evangelism outreaches, but that still leaves the matter of his own personal income. His wife works at a school and makes a little, but he feels as a husband a responsibility to provide for his family. He wants to find a way to do that without losing out on his time in ministry or doing anything illegal. His solution? The ACOAS, which is an acronym he'll explain in just a moment. Here is Maurice. Yeah, the ACOAS uh, initiative was born with us because we have a, a group of pastors we are working with, like Pastor Zablon Baye, who is a fellow pastor. He was a former student with me back in college when I was studying banking. So we found ourselves in the same ministry. And uh, because we face similar challenges, we thought, what can we do to keep us going so that as we are suffering now, we will not continue to suffer forever. We have to find a way of starting something that can build up with the time then it can be a remedy for the challenge that we are talking about. So we thought about the promises of God to Abraham to bless him so that he would become a blessing to other people. And the idea came on us that since we are ministers, we cannot be working for money, but we can have our money work for us. So that at the end of the day, where you have invested a small coin, you are benefiting from that coin and that it is helping you to move on. So we came up with the idea to help our fellow pastors and our fellow members access some small facilities that can help them. Even if you need 1,000 Kenya shillings or 2,000 or 3,000, small, small monies that can help pastors meet their daily needs or a week monthly needs within the church. So we are trying to organize them around that idea. We went ahead and registered a circle that is called ACOES, which is an acronym for Abrahamic Covenant Wealth Circle. The aim is to help us mobilize resources. Much as we may not have much, but if we pull those financial resources together over time, we can accumulate some amount of money that can help us either engage in a project like poultry, dairy, or any other thing that can generate extra income. In that circle, we have brought on board members who are not even among our churches because we are looking for interested partners who are willing to partner with us and invest in terms of savings and shares. It is their money. But we trade with that money. We offer out that money, small, small loans and credit facilities to people, both members and those from outside. Now, when they pay back with a manageable interest, we are building up that small interest slowly to build our capital base. So, based with the situation of most of our people, we don't have that huge capacity to make those savings 
uh, to build up a huge savings at a go. But thank God the initiative is up and running. So far, we have been able to pull together up to close to 3,000 US dollars, which is now in circulation in terms of our loans and all that. And then um, our people are trying to grow that. So we are open to with this idea that if we can find other interested partners or donors or people who are willing to understand our situation and be able to help us increase our capital base, we have people we can loan out those monies to and help expand that. And I know when the circle grows, it's fully registered by the government. It functions under government regulations. When we are able to mature, we can begin to have a return on our investments. Those returns can be channeled into maybe like a small payment of like salaries, or uh, support to pastors who are fully on the ministry. If a church can invest through its members, like in my church, we ask every member to contribute. Uh, that is uh, $2, $2, I think, which is uh, 200 shillings yeah, per month. So that money compounded in a year can go to the circle. And when we pull it like that from every member, then we can have a substantial amount of of uh, share capital as a church. When we as a church are in need, for example, a member has lost a relative, welfare issues, there are costs that come along with those. A member has just fallen sick, he needs medical attention, there is emergency funds required. It's easy for us to speak to the circle management and they can advance a quick amount of money that can help save a life or change a desperate situation. And then our core joint resources can be able to be used as security or a collateral for that while the leadership works on a way of how that money can be settled. So ACOWS stands for A-C-O-W-S, which is Abrahamic Covenant Worth SACO. And SACO is itself an acronym that means a savings account credit cooperative. This is not a a term that I've heard before, but it is something that is quite common in Kenya. Even for people that move to America, they will invest in a SACO back home, and that's how they can sort of protect their money and also make sure it goes to their family members that they're trying to help. So this is a really fascinating program. On the one hand it does charge interest to the people who invest in it. So in a sense, Maurice is charging his own people interest. And some may want to criticize him for that. After all, the Israelites were forbidden from charging each other interest in the law. However, he's also dealing with an economic situation that has essentially no safety nets in place for people, especially people who face any kind of sudden crisis or when there are a number of people all experiencing the same crisis, such as a drought, for example. Um, when I was there, I remember I asked him about all the skinny cows. I said, why, why are all your cows, because they'd just be standing on the side of the road, just tethered to a fence or something. And I said, why are all your cows so skinny? And he said, well, we had a drought. It didn't rain for a long time, and, and the rains just came before you arrived. So, you know, all the vegetation was green and lush, but the cows were still skinny because they hadn't been eating enough for so long. 
And uh, so, you know, if you have a skinny cow, you're not going to get as much meat, right? So this is an example of uh, the, the kind of situation where if you're livelihood is tied to slaughtering, selling and slaughtering cows, then if everyone is experiencing this at the same time, it's not like other people can help you out. You're, you're, you're all in the same situation. Let me switch to our context for a moment and run a thought experiment. We have a lot of credit available to us, those of us living in the United States, I'm thinking of in particular, but certainly other countries as well. We have a lot of credit available to us. In fact, most of us use credit cards. Some of us use credit cards because we like the points they give us and we pay it off each month. Some of us use credit cards because we want to buy things we can't afford and just make a low payment each month. And then some of us use them for emergency needs. Let's take the last category for a moment. Let's say you are living in a rural area and you're out on your own and your car breaks down. You need to get it fixed immediately or else you won't be able to get to work. You don't have enough saved up to pay for whatever the issue is with the car, but you know if you don't act immediately, you will not be able to make money because not only will you not get paid for the days you aren't at work, but you'll also likely get fired. What do you do? You whip out the old credit card, right? And you hand it to the mechanic to charge the cost to repair your vehicle. You're back to work in a day or two and keep the job. Then you slowly pay back what you owe on the card over a few months. The same principle applies to loans from banks. Now, of course, it is much better, much better to save ahead of time for crises before they happen. But not everyone makes enough extra beyond covering their basics to do that. So I can see in a context where you have a lot of people that are living at subsistence level, where they're just getting enough to survive, that something like a SACO, Savings Account Credit Cooperative, can really help the people in Kingdom Life Ministries because it, w- it could serve as a safety net when the cow dies or the roof caves in or the motorbike needs an expensive repair. Credit smooths out life, increasing stability and enabling economic uplift over time. This is just this is just a basic principle. It's it's not a Christian idea or a non-Christian idea. It's just it's just how how life works. Now it's also true that easy credit can be abused and turn into a major detriment for people. I think we're familiar with that. But hopefully the board at ACOAS can screen people well enough that they aren't just making loans for frivolous purchases. So, so I wonder what you think about that. That's a bit uh, non-conventional, <laughs> uh, a pastor starting a, a pastor starting a bank so that he can have sort of like smart passive income and at the same time be able to loan out specifically to his own people but also to other people who are in need and then to recover that money with interest over time, sort of taking advantage of the benefit of compounding interest. Um, love to hear your thoughts at restitudio.org on that if you want to come online and uh, say your piece. But for now, let's change topic for a moment and talk about vision. What's Maurice's vision for the future? We have the vision for the Bible school. We want to train many people, basically train many people, reach many people. I'm keen on evangelism and on outreach and on expansion of the ministry, both numerically Spiritually, doctrinally, we would like to grow. So that is our primary focus, both for now, today, and tomorrow. Here's team member Lacey Dunn. Um, So I see the great things coming from him. I'm really excited to see what he 
continues to do in Africa. I think he has big dreams and I love big dreams. The bigger, the better. And he's got them and he's going for them. Maurice again. Through the outreach and evangelism initiatives, we are keen on having the already identified study groups converted into full congregations. As we do that, we have plenty of enriched fields where people are ready and are willing to congregate around these truths. But as I said, we lack the facilitation. We lack the truth. And if we would have a way of having this truth reach them through facilitation and empowerment, as I said, then this work can be done so fast we can be able to arrive at the 1,000 churches like yesterday. Did you catch that? Did you hear that? His vision is to grow to 1,000 churches. <laughs> that's, that's as grandiose as it is specific, isn't it? Why 1,000 churches? Why not 1,100 or 500? Keep in mind that Maurice is a visionary, but he's also a tactician. He believes in developing strategic plans for the future. He has a very specific reason why he wants to cross this threshold of 1,000. Here's what he says. We need to have at least a minimum of 1,000 congregations in Kenya to be able to register uh, what we call an, a national umbrella. We have something like uh, NCCK in Kenya. The NCCK is the National Council of Churches of Kenya. That is a body of churches that have come together. The government came up recently with the regulations after some crazy pastors began taking advantage of their congregations and fleecing them financially in the name of spiritual help and all that. So through those regulations, it was noted regrettably that it is true. Many pastors, because of poverty, because of lack and want, they have turned the gospel as a means of gain. And so that is why we said, if the government insists on regulating the churches and you might be forced to, to sign up for regulation under a body that does not believe the same thing as you do, those bodies will be tasked with checks and balances in matters, doctrine, administration, and many other things. So we thought of, if we can have our own churches that subscribe to this truth and we have a whole nation to reach with this gospel. We have many churches in Kenya, yes, but very few teach this truth. So it is still possible we can reach that target and even surpass and plant as many churches as we can, not just to help us garner the numbers to merit for an umbrella body registration, which is a minimum requirement, but also to reach as many as we can with this truth. So that work can be done. God willing and providing funds for outreach initiatives. The gospel is free, but sharing it and taking it out involves a lot of money. And uh, that remains to be an item of prayer to God who knows our hearts and desires. He should be able to help us find a door or a solution to the same in his own time. So just to explain this a little bit, 
Maurice is worried that the government could crack down on his group of churches since they aren't big enough to be registered as an umbrella organization like the National Councils of Churches of Kenya. You might ask, well, why can't he just join them? Well, if you go to their website, ncck.org, you'll see that under the basis of membership, this is what they require. Quote, While recognizing that each church and organization has its own basis or order or doctrine, all the members of the council accept a common doctrinal statement as a declaration of their essential spiritual unity. In the doctrinal statement, the members of NCCK are united in confessing the faith to which the church has ever witnessed in one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, worshiping the Father revealed to the world in Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. They also hold the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as being God's revelation of Himself to the world, and that these contain all things necessary for salvation and are supreme and decisive standards of faith and conduct to which all teachings and all creeds and confessions are subordinate. End quote. So the NCCK has two main points in their statement of faith. One, the Trinity, and two, the Bible sets a standard. Now, ironic, this is so ironic because their second point is that the Bible is a standard to which, quote, all teachings, all creeds, and confessions are subordinate, end quote. However, I have to ask this. Where is the Trinity taught in the Bible? The Trinity is a creed, right? You know, it's not, it's not strictly speaking, a biblical doctrine that is clearly spelled out or explained anywhere in the Bible. It's just a theory that people develop centuries later to explain, to offer an explanation for how to understand what the Bible was saying. The Trinity is a confession, and therefore it's just so bizarre that this convoluted definition of God is their first point in the NCCK, even above the Bible itself. Well, I think you can see why Maurice can't join this organization, because he doesn't believe in the Trinity. He doesn't see it in Scripture, and that's because it's not in Scripture. In fact, it contradicts much of Scripture. So, what does Maurice decide? He says, well, if you can't join them, grow big enough to be your own umbrella organization. <laughs> Sounds pretty reasonable to me, but it certainly is a bold and inspiring vision, wouldn't you say? If I could plant just one church, I'd be happy. How about a thousand? And he's not joking around. He doesn't have his head in the sky. He's, he's really doing this. He's strategically and carefully planning out where churches should go. He's, he's gathering study groups together. He's equipping the pastors who work alongside him, and, and they're doing this. Uh, once again, we've got something to learn here from the brothers and sisters in Africa about their passion and their vision that should inspire us. Here's Lacey again. And seeing the work that they're doing here, it really pushes me to want to do more whenever I do get home. It makes me see some of the gaps in what I'm doing spiritually, whether it's in church or in my personal um study time, my personal relationship with God, it really has pushed me to see that I can do more, that I should be doing more. His vision for what can happen. Team member Linda Carblum. And how he's going to bring others to, to the knowledge of the truth. That's everything that he's about, it seems to me. Um, so I've been really motivated and, and inspired by that and feel like that's something I need to be bolder with in my own life and in my own witness and church at home. Speaking of home, Next, I ask Boris what he would like to say to the church in America. I think you'll find his words encouraging. So many times people portray Christianity as if it's some sort of like Western faith or 
tied up with American ideology. But of course, Christianity started in the Middle East, started and came out of Israel, and uh, the Jewish people, Jesus himself being a Jew, and it spread to Africa in the first generation. It spread to Europe in the first generation and out east as well in the first generation. And only much, much, much later, centuries and centuries later, did it come to America. So actually, an African addressing the church in America chronologically makes a lot of sense uh, since they've had the faith a lot longer than we have. Uh, but, But anyhow, here's what he says. I would like to say this to the church in America. One... We love you so much. Ever since God led me personally to the discovery of these truths, I have never been the same again. And then now, it is through your help and support to the vision and the dreams that we have. You have not met us in person. You have not seen us physically. You only hear about us through the testimonies and stories of the missionaries that come here regularly. But I want to say, I believe God one time, an opportunity will be there for me to see most of you, maybe face to face, visit your churches, talk to your congregations and share these experiences. But I would like to say this. Number one, we are so thankful to God that you have done what you have done by supporting our fellow African churches, your fellow African brothers who are brought together through a common bond of this truth. You have done it unreservedly. There are churches you have built. There are lands you have bought for churches in Kenya and Africa at large, Malawi, Mozambique. There are lives you have touched directly I know and I'm aware of people who have been assisted through your generous support medically, financially. There was one of my sectaries' wife who went, underwent an operation in India. I remember talking to Mama Rebecca and some funding was secured for her uh, treatment in India. I remember a pastor in the south whose wife had suffered during delivery and there was post-election violence during that time medical services in Kenya were affected. He had to seek for medical attention in Tanzania, the neighboring country. I spoke to Rebecca and there was that kind of facilitation. We cannot forget this kind of life-changing things that you do for us. And above all, we are receiving Bibles that help people to have access to the truth, to read the word of God on their own without a hindrance. So, I want to say this We are in Africa. We have a passion for the truths of the word of God. But we cannot run away from the reality that faces us. Yes, we have faith that one day, one time, things will change. I know and I'm aware that there are as many brothers in America as there are in Africa that also may be suffering the same challenges as we suffer, like maybe financial financially they may be as poor as we are however i want to say that if god has helped you to be such generous to this far and we are seeing the work of god established we have seen the head office established it's still going on many other works are coming up 
I want to pray that God will continue to prosper you and establish you and lead you and guide you to see the need where you can come in. The Bible says that those who are rich should be admonished to do good with the wealth that God has given them. God has blessed you and you have been doing good to the churches in Africa. May you continue with that same spirit and you are sowing a seed that will earn you rewards in the kingdom of God. You may not be able to come to Africa, but every seed you sow goes a long way to signing you up as one of those participators, those who are spearheading this work in Africa and the regions that uh, we are reaching through your support and help. You've been kind in facilitating our missionaries every year, and uh, they have come and nourished the church in Africa through these precious truths. We often receive uh, consignments of uh, reading glasses for our African brothers who have issues with their eyes. We receive a lot of things from you that has made us feel loved, appreciated, and cared for. Our hearts can never thank you enough, but we believe that your effort is not in vain and God will bless you as you continue to serve him in that area. Well, that's it for this series. Thanks for listening to the end. If you would like to help out here, there are three actions you can take. One, you can pray for the work. Pray for Maurice. Pray for the other pastors. Pray for God's kingdom message to go forth. Two, you can give to this work. Go to lhicog.com and hit the donate button. That's Lord's Harvest International, Church of God, lhicog.com, and hit the donate button. The ministry is called Kingdom Life Ministries of Kenya, but as of the time of this recording, it's still listed under Church Builders 121 African HQs. Hopefully they can fix that to make it easier to understand going forward, but you can do either a one-time donation or a recurring one, which I'm sure would would do a lot over time to sustain the work over there. And and then last but not least, number three, you can actually go there and help with the work. Uh, If you're interested in visiting and joining the team with Rebecca and Joe Martin, uh, you can email Joe, jmartin, J-M-A-R-T-I-N, at atlantabiblecollege.com. And uh, I certainly pray that God would bless the work there and uh, that the work would continue to spread and that um, the good news would have free course in Africa and in Kenya specifically. Also, if you want to get in touch with Maurice directly, you can find him on Facebook or you can email him at mchihilu, M as in Maurice, C-H-A-H-I-L-U at yahoo.com. On another note, I did an interview with Beckett Cook back in 2017 that has been that has been getting a good deal of attention over the last few weeks. That's interview 18, God Woo's fashion set designer from Gay Lifestyle. This is because Beckett Cook's new book just finally came out called A Change of Affection. And, and if you're at all interested in how someone attracted to the same sex can be a serious Christian, you should read this book which is a testimony to how God can melt our hearts even when we've erected huge walls around them to keep him out. Beckett courageously shares his whole story in this book, much more than we could get into in our last interview from back in 2017. And guess what? He agreed to let me interview him again 
So uh, I'm, I'm not sure when that will air, but I'm hoping to talk to him about the aftermath of his book coming out. And so stay tuned for that. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you'd like to leave a comment about today's episode, stop by restitudio.org and find Interview 59, God at Work in Kenya, Part 3. We'll see you next week, and remember, the truth has nothing to fear.